Good morning, everyone. Can you believe here we are on another Wednesday? And welcome to another podcast on Wednesdays. So today I am lucky enough to be here in Adelaide at the She Nurtures offices. Uh, Carly has been lucky enough to have us both here. I am here with Neha. Hello, how are you? Hi, Kara. So nice to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So for everybody at home, who are you and what made you the person that you are today? So I'm a marketing strategist by profession, but I'm also a mom, a wife, an immigrant, and a really creative person. Yes, I I found um, from your social media accounts that you certainly have a um, creative mind. Were you always like that? Yeah, I think growing up, like I always had this streak of like really crafting and always spending my spare time doing something creative. Like I was a really good academic student as well, like really good in science, maths and all of that. But also, um, yeah, like when I had spare time, I would always be tinkering around with arts and paints and stuff. Yeah, so you said you're academic and it makes me laugh and this is probably exceptionally... uh putting you in a box but I find that all of the because uh, you're Indian aren't you Indian, yeah definitely um were exceptional scholars that I went to school with and were always expected to be that way was it that way with your family yeah definitely like growing up in India if you're not a lawyer an engineer or a doctor basically you know you're worthless like you know that's what you're aiming for in life to be one of these three and if you don't like can be um, one of these three then you have to come close so you know I was really like a a time when I was growing up I really wanted to do an arts degree and because I was academically such a good student my father couldn't understand why I would be wanting to do an arts degree when I have like 90% scores in science Um, and that was a struggle because I said oh my god like I cannot do engineering like I cannot see myself spending five years doing that so what comes next was computer applications okay you know I did my graduation in computer applications but soon like I realized okay that wasn't for me and I drifted off and did my master's in advertising so that's definitely a truth for um, you know people growing up in India there's a pressure to be one of those professions and be um, really good student and academic focus have that academic focus for sure what what did your parents do uh, my parents, uh, my mum is a housewife. My dad has always owned his business. Um, he has a brick kiln, so he manufactured bricks he in India. He makes bricks? Yeah, he, he manufactures um, wow. bricks. Yeah. That's, and they're still both over in India? They're still both over in India with my brother and um, my sister-in-law. They all live together back in India, just outside of Delhi is where I come from. So yeah, they're all back there. So how old were you when you decided to move to Australia? And did you move by yourself or...? No, I was 23, but I remember um, when I was eight years old um, or thereabouts, uh, my mum telling everyone, oh, you know, this girl is not going to live in India for long. Like, I can see she's not like, you know, she's not like a right fit. No, (laughs) I wasn't cut out for that, like, you know, conformist and... um, yeah, that kind of society. I was a very rebellious child, like questioning all the time, questioning every single tradition. Um, so my mom kind of knew it at an early age. You know, she read the signs. And I always had this fascination because I thought, oh, you know, once I move to West, I can be whoever I like, um, away from all the pressures and all the pressures of society and all the rules and regulations. So I moved here at 23. Uh, I was very clear in my mind that I had to go somewhere 
um, outside of India. So when I met my husband, which is also an interesting story how I met him. Did you meet him in India? Yeah, I met him in India. And when I met him, um, you know, I said, okay, so where can we go? And he said, um, he used to work with Piano Cruise London before. So he had been around the world to a few places. And he said, okay, you know, Canada, too cold, US, too fierce and competitive, wasn't the kind of vibe that I was looking for. UK, too expensive. And then Australia, yeah. That just leaves that, Australia. Yeah, that just leaves the southern continent. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, so yeah, we packed our bags and got married 15 days after I was in Australia. So we call it our never ending honeymoon here. So. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. So how old were you when you got married? 24. And did you have like a big fat Indian wedding? Oh, sure I did. Even though I didn't want it, I was like, oh, you know, I'll just have 20 people. And this time I'm just going to do that and um, just have 20 people away, you know, in a quiet resort and have a small wedding. Um, Yeah, but then when the wedding day or like when the preparations start happening, you really want that big fat Indian wedding, especially (laughs) when your parents are sponsoring it, right? So you don't have the pressure of that, like, and your parents want that because it's the only time, I mean, not the only time, but one of the, you know, big times that they get to show off to all their friends and what they are doing and you know it's a daughter's wedding so it's a it's a really big deal like weddings are a really big deal in India is it the same and I'm a marriage celebrant so I do see it um like the amount of money people spend on weddings but in India is it the wife like the bride's family pay for it do the families go half half is it different in every situation yeah it's different in every situation i know traditionally in the like you know if we were talking about 25 30 years so like um ago it would it was a different picture altogether um you know but indian society has made such an extreme progress in the last um few decades that it is very different now and which is why i hesitate to put like any statement or answer under one umbrella blanket because like what is true for one family isn't true for another family anymore like it is here like there's so many there's such a spectrum of like culture yeah even were you shocked when you got to australia i wasn't actually like you know this is something i get asked all the time like you know how was it and i have this really vivid memory of landing on adelaide adelaide airport and feeling this sigh of relief and i felt like oh my gosh this feels home and I guess that was also because like I had spent last you know before coming to Australia like all those years just probably fighting with a lot of um, rules and regulations and expectations that I wasn't happy um, about and you know so it felt tumultuous before coming to Australia but when I landed here I finally felt like oh my gosh like I can just do whatever I can, live my life according to my rules, which is a big theme in my life. (laughs) You know, I can create my rules. Having said that, like, you know, I realized now after living here for 14 years, I have realized that, no, it's all in your mind. Like, you know, people here live by other people's rules as well all the time. Like we conform to what's expected of us and all of those things. So have you bought any of your traditions from India over here with you because you've got children now don't you Mm, I've got a son six-year-old yeah Neil yeah and so have you bought any of those I guess traditions or beliefs into his life because he was born in Australia wasn't he yeah 
Yes, definitely. And I think that's why I feel really, really lucky because now having him in my life, I have realized like how beautifully we can amalgamate East with West and, you know, how I can just pick and choose the good things that resonate with me and our values and the way I want to raise him um, and just bring him into his life and our life too. Like, so we do follow, um, you know, certain tradition that makes sense to me. Like my husband is more kind of like you know I would say more traditionalist so um, I am not like unless it makes logic sense to me and unless I really understand the whole like you know the reasoning behind why we are doing it it like it's very hard for me to do anything and um, you know that has an impact on my son as well like but we do follow our um, big festivals and you know he sees um, me meditating my a husband praying um, so he knows a few things like that and that's okay like I don't want to turn him into or like you know have that burden on him to follow one particular religion I just want him to pick good things that resonate with him that make his character and make him as a good human being in the end yeah absolutely so your husband he follows what religion so he follows Hindu, like we're both Hindus, Hindu. yeah. 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 So he follows, uh, because he grew up in a very dramatically different family than mine. Like, you know, he grew up in a very conservative Brahmin family. I come from a more, um, an open-minded, a more um, a more sort of modern, um, modern. cultured family, yes. which are Punjabis, like, you know, they're yes. usually yeah. considered as more open-minded and, you know, more... Um, chilled out yeah um, but he comes from a very conservative family where they have like I don't know like probably they follow like 100 things every day and um, so very wow. different cultures so I live up in the Riverland and we have a very multicultural settlement there we're really lucky um, and I, I I believe and this may be me just being ignorant but I believe our Indian settlement are Punjabis that's all I've ever heard. Yeah. Like that's all, I didn't realize that there was. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, you know, because I do know that um, around Adelaide in the, uh, like Punjabis have a lot of like big um, farm properties Mm -hmm. and a lot of them are farmers and really, really wealthy and they have been here for a few generations as well. But no, India has, I don't even know, I can't even count, like I don't even know the number, would be in thousands of like, you know, cultures and then it's just such a complicated setup of society. Um, I mean, you know, mainly you could probably like to simplify this conversation mainly you could bracket them in four or five different sort of big groups and then under them there would be like millions of like different smaller smaller like really not religions but like you know traditionalist cults and yes. not cults I hear. yeah yeah you know get I mean <laughs> I like, not, cults. Cults. <laughs> not cults uh, not cults um <laughs> like you know subgroups yeah but they all get along don't they um, yes and no. Um, I feel like what lacks is that respect for the differences um, sometimes. That's just all religions though, isn't it? Yeah, like it's, just, it's all religions. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and that's that's what I find because like, you know, even though I don't understand some things, but I am happy to follow um, like a different set of rules or a different set of um, traditions when I am in a different context or a different setting uh, because I feel like it's 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 you know it's it's their setting it's their rules and um, even though I don't believe in them but it doesn't mean that I can't respect that and I feel that sometimes 
you know, lacks and a lot of it impacts um, people's normal lives as well. Like, you know, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to marrying a different um, into a different family, a different cultural family, it's a big deal. Like, luckily, we were so lucky because it was no uh, there was no drama. There was no question. Your about family was happy to have his family and totally. vice versa. Yeah. And vice versa. Whereas definitely I remember that that. Um, you know, expecting that there has to be some sort of drama um, because, like, his family is very conservative. You know, they would probably not be happy in, uh, uh, you know, about marrying the son marrying um, a Punjabi, yeah. a modern Punjabi girl. Like, you know, um, but yeah, there was no drama at all. In fact, we were in um, one city at that time, and our parents just, you know, were having like a gathering and a mini ceremony, which is supposed to have like the bride and groom as well so like it was pretty chilled out um, for us but it often comes down to like your culture and your values and you know um, people often have to just drop the idea of marrying into a different family for those reasons because their parents are not happy about do i was under the impression is there some indian cultures that still have arranged marriages yours wasn't arranged was it no mine wasn't but i don't think arranged marriage is a cultural idea it is just an arrangement that the society on the whole has so a punjabi family can also have an arranged marriage but a brahmin family can also have an arranged marriage so arranged marriage really just means that you it's actually a really nice dating process in my mind which really should come to west and i know people in the west have a very different perception of it yes Um, Fill us in because I was, I saw it from obviously the outside and perhaps people not. I saw it by they got to a certain age and they didn't have a girlfriend so they'd get sent home to find one. That's what I saw from the Riverland and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. Yeah. But does it happen? Yeah. Is that how it sort of works? Yeah, roughly, like, you know, because, okay, you know, there is certain, like, acceptable age by that time you're expected to marry. And there is, like, I have come to realize that there is a lot of sense in that as well because, um, you know, if you're married at 27, if you get married at 27, then that means you'll have kids at certain age. And, you know, biologically and all of those things, your life is more likely to flow smoothly, like, if you kind of follow those rhythms of mm-hmm. life. Um so by certain age, if you're not married, like, yeah, your parents would be, you know, start getting you. worried and they're like, <laughs> what's going on? Um, so they would start looking, their relatives would start looking. Um, and yeah, and they would, they would find a good match. Like, you know, people so it's like would... like Tinder. Yes, from, from exactly. Parents, parents Tinder. That's right. And what it does is eliminates, like, you know, the the hassle of going through the frogs a lot of frogs because like you know you have set criteria so at least they fit into that like you know a nice family culturally aligned um, maybe they would look at the financial or the or the or the status or like you know whatever and you know so you yeah. have like a few criteria ticked off already and can you obviously every family is different but can you say no if you don't like them yes and that's the misconception that people in the west have they feel like no they're just forced onto um, another person and you know they have no say it used to be like that but not anymore uh, a lot of it not I mean I can't again like I'm sure there are pockets in India where you, you have no school. say yeah. but that comes with education and awareness but um, 
but I see a lot of families like I've got my first cousin married and she had an arranged marriage very happily married and you know they're both doing really well they fit into each other's um, philosophy um, so yeah that works out really well as well and it's a commitment part as well which comes from like two families coming together so you don't have to work hard in getting your parents get along with your in-laws you yeah, know what I mean they, so. they met before you did yeah that's right so <laughs> yeah so when you um moved to Australia did you get straight into work were you did you already have jobs when you moved over like how did it all sort yeah. of come about I was really lucky when I was studying I was doing my graduation um, and even though in India it's an expectation that when you're studying you just study and until you've done your master's you're basically not educated like you know you have to get your master's (laughs) you know you put your head down bumps up and that's it like you know you do that first and when I was doing that I was really lucky because I had this streak I always wanted to work and you know, get that exposure as well. Uh, so I was working with the um, best-selling national um, English newspaper there um, as a journalist um, on the side. So that was my first job back in India. And when I moved here, that really helped me to get that ground um, of having worked before, that experience of having worked before. So. Um, Two months, I remember starting in a call center that was like, you know, I did a few days and I didn't enjoy that. And along with that, I um, I was applying for advertising agencies uh, because I had a degree and that was my interest. So second month or maybe third, um, I got invited to this um, interview with um, in an advertising agency. Um, And then a week later, they said, oh, no, they're not hiring for that role anymore. And then a week later, uh, they rang me again and said they have given me the role. Like I was like, oh my gosh! Like that was the only interview I appeared for at that time, and I got the job. And it was, it was I call it a make or break deal for me in Australia because the people I met in the advertising agency were amazing. They're still my like you know one of the closest friends that I've held friendship with over 14 years of time and the way they welcomed me and embraced me and you know exposed me to Australian culture respected the difference as well um, was amazing like I remember even having you know some weird conversations with the clients and you know them getting used to like a new person who has come from India so I had a little you know few quirks that I had to smoothen out at that time but I remember the head of that advertising agency would always stand up for me and like you know wow that's really important yeah isn't it? her name is Sally and you know I just have so much gratitude for all of those people in that time because that really made Australia home for me it could have been different though couldn't it yeah because a lot of people so many people I see now like you know they struggle and I can see their struggles because like you know they they have that cultural adaptation and to really understand the nuances of the work environment as well Um, and when you know your job uh, when you don't have the right job or work life um, is uh, difficult difficult. yeah yeah, it affects the rest of your life and your decision whether you're going to be staying here for long or not yeah so when you moved over did you move over on like a working visa or how did that all work because I see it in my job Uh, we get a lot of unskilled people to the Riverland because we have a fruit growing Mm. thing and people 
come over and do their 88 hours or whatever, 88 days or whatever it's called. How did that work for you and your husband when you moved over? Yeah, so at that time when I met my husband, which is also an interesting story on its own, but um, when I met him, he was um, kind of trying to settle his business um, in the city in middle of um, India where we met. And he wanted to go abroad and study masters. He had interest in business, but he thought he needed that qualification in business. Yeah. 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 So he applied for MBA in UniSA. So he came on a student's visa. He couldn't work for more than 20 hours, but I could. I came on a um, dependent visa, I believe it was called at that time. Um, So I could work as a spouse. I could work full time which worked out really well for us. And, you know, especially me landing into a good job where I was comfortable, we, we, we had a good start to that. Yeah, so yeah. lucky. Yeah, very lucky. I do feel that. Again, like, you know, as I said, that period was so crucial. And I didn't even realize it at that time. But now when I look back at it, I feel like, you know, what if, if we had to struggle for like, you know, two, three years? And, and, you know, my husband went through a period where he did have that struggle even after having an MBA. Adelaide is just notorious for that. Um, so he did go because through that. Your husband has a commercial cleaning and maintenance mm. business, doesn't he? Yeah, he does now. So do you think he needed an MBA to do that? No. Now we look back, that was the worst investment ever. <laughs> yeah, because, like, you know, what you learn in MBA, whatever you do in MBA, it is um, not not quite the same when you run your own business it's it's like so I always see it whether I'm going to go uni to study business I'm like how about you just work in business or give it a go like if you don't have a huge financial investment because you think about going to university that's a huge financial investment and you might not feel it at the time because it's something that you pay for slowly afterwards I guess like via X or whatever but it's a huge investment. It's just like, give it a crack. What's the worst thing that can happen? And you have that choice. Like people here have that choice to pay it slowly. Whereas we as immigrants did not have that choice. Oh, like, you, you had know, to pay it up front. Not only up front, but we um, paid, I think, twice or three times the normal uh, cost of the degree. Yes. Wow. It was, I think, around like 55 grand or 50 grand. So... Uh, and you had to pay it up front. We had to pay, not up front, but like sort of in installments in and before your degree. Wise, yeah. yeah, semester wise and before your degree finishes. So it was like a huge investment and risk for us. And, you know, at that time, again, now we look back and think that, oh, my gosh, like, you know, what what, what were we thinking? But, you know, again, like life is what it's it is. Something and you had to do. That's right. And at that time, like you make the choices and, um, you know, you just learn to accept them and learn from it and just move on. And, you know, at that time, it was a good choice. And that was the, we, you know, that was the only way we could come to Australia and like sort of have the hope to actually live here forever as well. So it was an expensive ticket to Australia. It was, absolutely. <laughs> so when you moved here, did you ever consider moving home? Or like you say now that you plan to live here forever, but was that the initial plan? No, never. I came with that mindset. Okay, like, that's it. Like, you know, yes, maybe from here somewhere else for sure. But no, I cannot imagine going back and living in India. And I get into trouble for saying that all the time, especially from Indians. They give me this like sneer quick. 
you know, side eye for saying that. But that is the truth. That is the truth of my life. It might not be someone else's truth, but I definitely did believe that, you know, as I said, when I landed on Adelaide Airport, I felt like home and I still feel that because... Um, Yes, are there parts of India that I miss? Sure, I miss family. Yes, every day. And, you know, sometimes when I get into, like, a low mood and I feel like, oh, I wish I had, you know, all the facilities and all things that, you know, back there my friends are having. Yes, I do. But at the same time, when I weigh out the options and when I feel like what I have here um, and what I would have there, I cannot imagine in my wildest dream of actually living there even for a month. When I go for holidays, <laughs> too much. Yes, too much. Too much. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I always find because I come from the country, and it's not like it's a backwards place or anything. No. But people are like, I can't wait to move away. You know, they can't wait to move to the city, and then I'll find you know four or five years later they're back here because that's a good place to raise children and we've got good education and cost of living's lower but I always say to people like the grass is greener where you water it like if you look after where you live and whether that have been in India or you know or here here is your home now so of course you're going to enjoy that more and if you're always looking for something better you'll never find it like that's absolutely right you know what you said is absolutely right and so on point um because i think a lot of people live here like they move with certain kind of um idea of you know what they are looking for in life and when they get here they take it for granted and you know they don't appreciate it enough because it's a new normal for their life and then they start getting into this nostalgia what it could have been if they went back um, rather than recognizing and appreciating what they have here and it is the choice that they have made and staying grounded in that choice and I think that's what happens and I always find people trying to find an excuse why they're not happy like they'll blame their unsatisfaction on where they are who they're surrounded by their job etc instead of going well sometimes my happiness is up to me totally 99% of the time yes (laughs) yeah you know you know I was um, listening to something uh, the other day and um, this spiritual guru he said pain is out of your control but suffering is in your hands so wow yeah so even though circumstances may be painful and yes you know there are certain things certain you know certain things that you're used to while you live in India like you know you don't have to do your cleaning you don't have to do a lot of things that you just have to get accustomed to when you move to um, you know Australia or any but other just interrupting no you didn't have to do your cleaning because you were well off yes that is also right <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> like you were you were fortunate that uh, I, I understand India has middle class, upper class and exceptional poverty. I, I understand that, but we have that here too. It's just less obvious. Exactly. It's just less obvious. And, you know, the more I live here, the more I've realized that, you know, we have we just kind of the ho- same problem. We just hire our homeless people. Here. Yes, that's right. Like in India, they live on the streets. It's visual. It's yeah. in your face. It's the first thing that you see when you land. But they, people do struggle to find the what people love about India and why they continue to live there. But it's a beautiful place. And you were, what, middle class? Yeah, I would say we were middle class, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's the thing. Like, I think it's just the sheer numbers because the population of, um, you know, Delhi, just Delhi alone is 
greater than the population of whole Australia and imagine the size of Australia and India. So just to put it in perspective, that's the sheer numbers we are talking about. And also we must not forget that how the background of both the countries, like, you know, here, um, how these two countries originated. Like India was a super wealthy country before Britishers came and, you know, we were ruled for like centuries so you know that left India so I, I see India as like you know a very like a 50 60 year old country really um, which has come a long way so it will take time for everything to dissipate and all the disparity and it is it is growing at the same time like no one can predict the future and no. how it's going to go no and, and if we could you still you know you don't know what you want of a place I don't know that's right there's I always see and I saw it most recently um, because we live in a farming property and people were crying out to the government to help our farmers which don't get me wrong is exceptionally important and they were suggesting you know cutting aid to other countries to do so and I thought to myself I'm just like but if we ever needed it like we'd want to put our hands out to other countries to help us and sometimes you know we've our drought don't get me wrong is it's dire where we've got rain up in Queensland now, but we haven't had rain at home. I think all growing year we've had 17 millimetres at our house. You get that in a night here in Adelaide, you know. People don't realise we're three hours away, but a, but a lifetime, you know. It's a it's make or break. And I just think to myself, I'm like, but we put our hands out, you know. We can't stop helping other people just because times are tough here. Yeah. I think it's the one thing that Australia does yeah and you know that's interesting you say that because like i was just thinking right then what does happen is when you live in india you become so immune to like you know the poor people the beggars you just kind of have to shut your mind for a little bit to even survive because the survival is just so hard and it feels like you know the same conversation on a bigger scale in australia right now whether we look after ourselves our little family or should we extend our hands to um you know other people who need it and i think there has to be a balance for both because if you don't have your needs fulfilled and you are like you know bleeding um at home so like you know you can't just oh yeah you can't you can't help others if you can't help yourself i'm not disagreeing but we still we're we're a lucky place but i thought it was interesting because we had um dinner the other night and we were talking about um all of these big political matters and you said oh but india's so moving forward with all of that you know we're talking about all of these things which I just assumed and that's because I'm ignorant and I've taken no time to learn about it but I just assumed that they were still on the back foot when it came to things like we were talking about abortion um, uh, marriage equality all of those sorts of things I just assumed that they'd be completely closed-minded about it yeah and that's interesting like how we were talking about how we are discussing like abortion law here in Australia that wouldn't be a question in my mind because I grew up with this you know perception of the west which has obviously like changed as I have lived here for 14 years um, and I realized we have you know like the problems that we shouldn't have a western educated progressive society so we we were ahead of countries who were developing India and you know all of the other countries we were ahead of them 50 years but now I feel like the gap is closing so fast because India introduced um, the law which doesn't allow uh, any pregnant lady to have the ultrasound um, 
or like the doctors can't reveal the sex of the baby and that came from you know obviously the girl killing and um was that also because they wanted more boys yeah, is that how definitely. that works? Like the Indian families would want more boys? Yeah, traditionally that's definitely that's where it came from because that was a problem because people would just um, get abortion done or mothers would be forced to get abortion done if they found out that it's a girl and they didn't want a girl because girls are, you know, traditionally they used to be a burden because then the parents had to pay dowry and, you know, to get them married, the girl's side had to spend everything. But as, I, as we were discussing before, that has all changed now so much. But the West... Like their perception is the same about India. They think it's the, still the same. Um, that you know, they like yes, pockets of India, small villages, they're still the, struggling with the same issues. Um, but that comes with education and you know um, awareness and all of those things. But right now, what's happening in India? It is so exciting. I don't even recognize the India actually. Every time I go back, every once in two years or whatever, any every time I go back, I feel like, oh my gosh, like what is going on here? Like everything is it's just exciting. exploding. Yeah, yeah, and people as well. Like you know, yes, we started off by imitating West. Like you know, we have back in India, we have a perception of West looks like. We think that. You know, it's all about just wearing like short skimpy clothes with choice. Uh, you know, you can just go around anywhere, anytime and, you know, you'll be safe. And, you know, that's kind of like a very superficial level of perceiving Western people. But as I have lived here, I feel like they're just normal people. They have the same family issues. They have the same family dramas. They have same personal issues that, you know, any other, other normal family and person would have, yeah. like, you know they still don't want to see their family sometimes sometimes they're really bonded you know some they get along and you know like it's the, exactly the same yeah it's exactly the same. and that's surprising because i think people who live in india they just live uh, they just get to see a mirage of what west is they don't ever get to really experience what western but society I think that's is. just complete ignorance as well it the, is it's the same as me with your um you know home country as it is from yours to ours they don't want to know about the high levels of domestic violence they don't want to know about uh, the alcoholism and all of these other things that are going on because they want the pretty picture of what the west is absolutely and that's absolutely right like you know we grew up watching just movies and you know movies are not the right depiction as we yeah. all know <laughs> they are just the pretty rosy picture of what life looks like the real life on the grounds is not like that i mean i have been blown away in the last year the more i have heard about the domestic violence and the abuse and you know we were talking about on the dinner the other day i had not heard those stories not in my like sort of family growing up and the the amount and the extremity of that those issues it is just enormous it's uh, i didn't even i didn't even know until we were talking about all of the different levels of domestic violence like i thought it was just you know one spouse beating another i didn't realize that it came in so many other forms like, I was just ignorant no. to it, too. I'm still, like, I would still say I don't understand the full depth of it. Like, you know, how emotional abuse and what it could look like and um, all the levels. And then in the marginalized society as well. Like, you know, it's recently that I'm starting to get interested and more, like, sort of, you know, caring about all yeah. of these issues. I because I want to learn, too. I want to yeah. know about it so that I can see it when it happens and try and stop it or help the person yeah. that's involved I'm very lucky I grew up my parents aren't together anymore but I grew up in a loving home like I was never I never felt unsafe or you know that my parents didn't respect one another like just because they're not together anymore doesn't mean that 
while they were, they didn't have, you know, happiness. So, and, and I work really hard on my relationship to make sure that, you know, we give each other the respect that each other deserves. That's exactly right. And, you know, uh, we do the same. I, f- I feel very, very proud and I just openly declare it how lucky I feel to have this magical unicorn husband in my life. <laughs> and really, um, and, you know, considering that I met him in a bar and three days later I proposed him, it could have gone either way. <laughs> so, so fill us in on this story. I need to know more. Three days later and what you asked him to marry. Yeah, I did. And, you know, I didn't see anything like odd with it until a few <laughs> years later when people started telling us like, surely I wasn't going to wait for him to propose me. So we met in a bar, you know, a night before. Um, I used to live with a few girls um, in a rented apartment in a shared setting. They used to have a crush on this guy they used to mention. I was like, who is this guy after all? And at that time, I was working with um, the Times of India, which is an English daily newspaper there, and he was settling his business. So we just crossed paths and we said hello to each other in a party that night. And next night, we I saw him in the bar um, in a disco and you know we in a were disco in a disco yeah <laughs> that that used to be the thing at that time well I feel old now um but you know so I used to love going there on the weekends and he I saw him and um I went up to him and you know started talking said oh would you like to dance together I'm like sure and I had this like crush on him it's really handsome looking guy and you know um so that that's how it started and three days later as you know we had more conversation and I was like okay I have decided this is the guy I'm going to marry and I'm going to tell him right now so I said look I'm ready to marry if you're like you know you can make up your mind and if you like whenever you feel ready you can come and let me know so he took like about 11 months to like really get ready about that um yeah because I think he was sussing me out like you know. oh so you didn't like get engaged on day three, but you told no, him. No, I did tell to. him. That's not how it, it happens in India. Like, you know, there is engagement when your parents know about it, your family has approved and given you that stamp of, okay, approval, and, you know, now you can go ahead. And then there is a big deal about that engagement. It just doesn't happen like a husband comes with a ring and, you know, suddenly, <laughs> you know, maybe it's a thing now, but like, certainly it's not a traditional way. So, yeah, I did tell him that I wanted to marry him. and On day three. On day three. And it could have gone either way. Now I think back and feel like, oh, my gosh, what if he was like a complete a-hole? And, you know, like I came to um, a new country with him. And uh, But no, like I think we have just grown together, evolved together. And just a camaraderie between us. It's not that we don't have arguments. Sure, we do. But we have a very respectable way of coming back together and understanding each other's point of view and I think that's important yeah because sometimes you drift apart and you become different people but if you're not malleable and if you're not changing with the other person then one person goes ahead and the other person gets left behind and the breakup is just very natural in that scenario yeah you fall out of love in that sense yeah so you moved to Australia you worked for an advertising company and now you're doing your own thing what is it I mean in a basic way that you do 
So I'm a marketing strategist. I work with like small pe- uh, small businesses who want to settle their own um, business and grow in a soulful and kind way. Um, I work with them to set up their marketing strategy, basically how they can promote their business. Yeah, and how long have you been doing that for now? Um, not long, actually. Um, two months? Yeah. Two months. And, and loving it? Oh, loving it. Like, yeah, I've done a few things before that as well. I knew... Um, you know, for a few years that like it's not like a corporate career is not going to work for, for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially having a child and, you know, um, and I think I was very clear on how I wanted to raise and how I wanted my family life to look like. Um, I and don't, a corporate career didn't fit into that. No. And, you know, um, it's great for some people and it works for them and that's fine. But the way I wanted my family and, you know, to work around each other, it was important for me that I'm at home and I am cooking fresh meals. Um, you know, we are together. We are having some meals together, um, have the presence of mind when we are around each other. I did not want my son to go to after school care. That was a big thing for me as well. Um, to you know it just be around him as well like at, at home um, so I was very clear on that and again like using my skills in a way that I wanted to use because I've done a few things in the past and I wanted to bring all of that under one umbrella and also make it valuable for other people so um, so yeah if we've got some people at home I the one thing I've noticed is like your Instagram feed is something that's like clearly thought out like you don't just put pretty pictures on there like you have yeah you nailed it yeah there's like an ambulance or something going past we don't get this in in the country (laughs) exciting (laughs) um so there's like a definitive look that you go for is that something that you help your clients with or yeah definitely so I'm doing a few workshops actually in-person workshops to teach exactly that because that's the question that I get all the time like what's what's with it like what do we like about it and I know like people have this perception about you know a lot of channels including Instagram um, they don't have that understanding of the strategy and how they can do it intentionally so that it solves their creativity but also serves their audience and you know how it serves and fits into their business purpose so yeah that's that's kind of what the intersection is of my passion where I bring creativity and strategy together yes and and I merge them both um so that is very intentional my Instagram feed is obviously very intentional you picked it up yeah (laughs) I could I could tell mine is uh pictures of my dog pretty much yeah (laughs) and that could work too like you know (laughs) if that's your thing like that could work too very well yeah I um I decided not to make an Instagram for this podcast page because I found that I didn't I wanted the content of it to be something that was of value and I found that all it would be is like pictures of me sitting with the people that I talk to because that's what the podcast is about it's about the people so I've got the Facebook page and I use that instead otherwise it's just going to be too much work and there's no point having something unless you devote time to it that's definitely right like I never recommend people like to just like put their 20% in like 10 different things. I'd rather have put them um, 80% of their effort and intention and thought and strategy behind one channel. Like I don't use Facebook much at all, actually. Uh, It's not my thing right now. I will stack it up, but once I have, um, you know, 
like reached my goal with Instagram and all the other channels that I'm working on. So, you know, step by step, but like I call it a layered stacking approach. Like you make one channel work for you, do it really well. And, and once on. that wheel starts uh, moving, then you can add on another one. Otherwise, er- like, you know, everything is just going to fall apart. You're going to burn up yeah. and then you're going to quit everything. And Exactly. Exactly. So another thing that I ask everybody that comes on this podcast, because what I found was when I was listening to podcasts, they were always so positive. And I, and it's not that I hate positivity because that's not the thing, but there has to be an equal level of if you love things, there's got to be things that you don't love. So what are three things that you absolutely hate? I hate when you go into restaurants and there are these pretentious little tiny meals and they're exorbitant prizes for that. Like, you know, 40 bucks for like one inch of, I don't know, like kale or in peas. I hate that. <laughs> cannot stand that. Like, where is the real food? Come on. Um, the other thing I hate and I realized that was odd was Jim Carrey I cannot stand him and my husband said seriously you cannot say that about him I was like surely I, I can too. oh I'm yeah. so glad yeah and Adam Sandler yeah oh okay <laughs> I I had a guilt pang because when he said that I was like oh surely I have to like love him I was like no I cannot no I hate him you like, hate Jim it. Carrey yes. I love that I love that you hate Jim I Carrey. just cannot stand him because so many people will love him and listen to this and be like how can you hate Jim Carrey that's it's right like, I can do all right yeah. <laughs> That's what my husband said too. I was like, you know about this story and this and that. I was like, no, I don't care. I cannot stand his expression. No, 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 not for me. <laughs> and I can't stand like lost socks. Once I find like, you know, there is one sock and I can't find the other in the pair. I just throw it out completely. I cannot stand the thought of just having that one sock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just. That's the most ridiculous thing I I love that. <laughs> so yeah, just, because like how much effort are you going to put into finding that sock? So you're never going to wear that one sock on its own. You're like it has to have the right pair. So I have no, like I, my life energy is very limited. I calculate it before I put into people and things. So lost <laughs> sock is one of them. That's brilliant. Yeah. I love that. Do you know what? I'm going to implement that into my life. <laughs> now when I can't find a sock, I'm going to throw the other sock out because I'm never going to find it. And if I do, well, that's still going to have a missing sock now. So I'll just throw that that's out That's right. It could be a trigger for a lot of stress in your life. Imagine the replication you're having by keeping that one sock. <laughs> that's, do you know what? It's funny. My other half, he doesn't let me do his washing because he reckons that I don't wash things the way that he likes because... I'll just like Same. find stuff on the floor and I'll be like, oh, that's all work clothes. So that can all go in the wash together. But I might miss that sock on the floor. And then he'll be like, why is there an odd pair of socks not in the wash together? I'm like, I don't know. Why weren't they on the fucking floor together? I don't <laughs> like, so I don't do his washing. Yeah, perfect. That's what I do too. Like, you know, anytime I offer to iron my husband's shirt, he's like, no, actually, I prefer... Do you have anything I can iron? Because I'm never up to the mark with it. I was like, yeah, sure, no problems. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, can you believe we've already been here for like 45 minutes? Oh, my God. I thought it's going to be so long and oh, it has gone <laughs> so not. quickly. Well, is there anything that you want to shout out to the listeners that they can take home from our little chat today? Because normally we incorporate it and I got stuck hearing about all of your... Um, <laughs> life which I'm really excited about I'm sure that people will love to learn more about 
You know what, like it might sound a little philosophical, but that's part of me as well. But something I really say to everyone who I meet, like, you know, get really clear on what you really enjoy in life. Like, you know, spend some time. If if you want to make that as a project, make that as a project. But really get clear on what lights you up. What are the things that you enjoy? What you like about someone and what you don't like about someone? And that's the only way forward to living a truly fulfilled life. A lot of people just like get into this rut because they never take out the time to really get clarified on, you know, what they prefer and, you know, who they are as a person. It's funny because at the end of every episode, I have this line where I say, you do you hun and I think that that's just a very short way of saying exactly what you just said exactly like if you don't want to do it don't do it but if that's what you want to do do it and do it a hundred percent yeah and get clear on that like you know get clear on the reasons because sometimes we think we're not you know um caring about something because like other people are not caring and it's just really cool to not care about it like you know what I mean I yeah, see that love all it the and time do it. yeah do it. but like just be true to who you are and have you know just some creative projects in life, I think, I would say. Yeah, you know? and if anybody wants to find you on the socials, where can they hit you up? On? So they can find me on Instagram. That's the best way to find me. It's a brain underscore glider. So B-R-A-I-N underscore G-L-I-D-E-R. That's the best way to get connected with me. And I'm always on Instagram. I reply to all the messages. So yeah, I would love to hear. Excellent. Well, I can't believe it. It's been another week and we are hoping that you're having the most amazing Wednesday. So until next time, Nihar, it's been an absolute pleasure. It was an honor to meet you and I look forward to hearing about all of the exciting things you get up to. So until next weekend, listeners, keep doing you, Hans. See ya. Thank you so much. Pleasure. See you guys.